We are continuing with our series, Spiritual Conversations with Folks Who Believe Differently. And the goal of our series, we've been kind of hitting this every single week, is sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And, I, and I'm guessing that every person in this room knows there's kind of two, two feelings about this um, or, or two experiences. I think that's a better word. Um, sometimes it, it just, it was easy. Maybe, maybe, hopefully, uh, all of you have a story in which you shared the good news of God's kingdom and everything just went really well. I think I shared with you uh, one of the, probably the first times I shared the good news of the kingdom of God with my roommate on a trip to Europe, and he lost his mind that night. So maybe you've had good experiences, and maybe you've had experiences where you thought, wow, that did not go well. Um, Again, sometimes it's easy. We click with somebody at work or at school or at the gym. Uh, conversation eventually turns to, you know, what, what pastimes, hobbies, how do you spend your weekends? Oh, you know, we, we go to church. And, and then a, an, an invite to church maybe, and, and, they, and they show up and they accept Christ and they join the church and they grow in maturity and on and on and on. And sometimes, I, I don't know if any of you have experienced that, but that really gets you excited and like, I want to do that again. That, that was really fun. Um, but other times it's a whole lot tougher, right? Somebody, they've got intellectual problems with the church. They reservations about this, that, or everything. Sometimes it's pseudo-intellectual, right? They don't really know what they don't like about the church, and they're kind of grasping at straws, kind of odd objections, right? You, you've heard these, and you think, hey don't think they believe that objection. I think they just don't want to have anything to do with the church, right? They, and, maybe, and maybe they've been burned by the church. Maybe they've been burned by a Christian, and this is kind of their way. They don't, they're embarrassed. They don't want to say, well, you hurt me. And so they'll come up with intellectual objections. And the biggie probably, and, I, and someone just shared with me this uh, last week, I think it was, that a lot of folks simply don't see a need for Jesus in their life. They think their life is going swimmingly, Right? I uh, talked with somebody very, very, very close to me recently, and their opinion was, I love God, I believe in God, but the church just causes so much problems. It's like, ah, oh, this is somebody very close to me, and I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor of a church. Ugh. It's rough. But these are the mindsets we face when we feel the Holy Spirit nudging us to share something about God, right, with that person that all-important person, God wants you to have that all-important conversation with, and, and for some reason, they keep crossing your path, and you keep looking up going, is this a sign? Is this a, it's a sign, okay? It's a sign, right? You need to maybe strike up a conversation. We talked about that again last week. So again, we've been looking at different ways that, that, that you can have that conversation, noticing, and, and, and again, the, the combination of praying and listening, and, and again, last week, asking questions. And what strikes me about all of these, and it'll be true for the rest of this series, you don't even have to be a Christ follower to put these things into action. These are valuable relational practices, right? If you decide to do these things, you will be equipped to listen more clearly, more closely to people. You will care more genuinely, and you will include more radically. So this morning, what does it mean to be welcoming, right? I want to give you a warning. Christians love using this word. We love for somebody to say, boy, your church was sure welcoming. That, that's like, <laughs> go home, take a nap. Sunday's complete, right? Everything's good. Christians love using that word, but to quote the famous warrior philosopher, 
Inego Montoya. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Something my wife understands, and, and I'm, I'm beginning to, I, I guess I, I figured it out this week in studying for this message. Uh, we'll go shopping for things, and, and, and let's just put out there uh, welcome mats. How long can it take to choose from a stack of welcome mats? Well, I'll tell you what, it could be a while. Funny thing is they all say welcome, not a whole lot else, but she will agonize because she knows something that, again, I'm just gathering. That welcome sign, that welcome mat you got out front, she, she knows this. It says, it, it is your welcome before you say a word. So she really, really, same with greeting cards. I'm like, grab a card. It's like, no, this isn't just right. It's just, and if you get a card from my wife, she spent an hour looking at cards, just the right, and I'm, you can see me in the background pulling my hair out. That's why I'm bald. All right. Um, but have you ever gotten inside, spent some time with those living there with the welcome sign out front and, you, and a thought crosses your mind and you want to tell them desperately, you need to change the welcome mat out front because you're not very welcoming? Let me just show you a couple things, mats, of what I, what I mean. I got this off the internet. Uh, one mat says welcome, key is under the mat. I hope you recognize that's not a mat, it's a slab of concrete. So you got to wonder, am I really welcome in that house? Or maybe the lower left, welcome, everything is fine, makes me wonder. Just under the surface, I'm going to go into the house and I'm not going to make any waves because you, you get the impression they're hiding something. And then over on the right, come in, we're awesome, which tells me, I don't know what they think about me, but they think they're awesome. Like, I have visited the right place. Um, and, and maybe the welcome is somewhat conditional, right? Wait before you knock, could this have been a text? <laughs> that could be from my daughter. <laughs> Or try not to overstay your welcome. It's like, okay, that, that's a conditional, conditional welcome, right? And, and then maybe you're just really, really, really honest, right? Watch out behind you. Uh, welcome to the sin bin. Um, I'd turn back if I were you. <laughs> but if we were really, 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 really honest, some of our signs really aren't that welcoming at all, right? You don't see this very often. It's like leave, right? Come back with a warrant, Oh, no, not you again. Don't you love that when you come up on a door seven? Oh, no, not you again. Hmm, I'm not sure if I'm welcome here. Or maybe you're that one person that everybody knows in any situation will have this sign out front and they'll mean it, right? Welcome home. Welcome home. Today I want to look at how Jesus consistently welcomed and how we're invited into that way of life too. A life that welcomes isn't just being and acting like Jesus. I said a few minutes ago, right? You will be more influential, right? You will influence people if you buy into this idea of welcoming that I'm going to share with you this morning. You will find passion for the mission. And probably more important, and this is incredibly crucial, the welcome I'm talking about is able to take surprises in stride. As you begin to share the good news of the kingdom of God, you're going to get some very, very odd surprising responses back. And you don't want to go, do you really believe? You, 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 you got to be able to take it in stride that people have different beliefs than you do, right? You can't bug eye them, jaw drop to the ground when they say something crazy. Just kind of take it in stride. And, and if you get your head wrapped around this type of welcoming that I want to talk about this morning, that won't be a problem for you. A lot of times we, we start these conversations, and again, when we buy into this welcome, I want to talk about you will not get angry when somebody says something crazy about your faith. You will not get defensive. You won't need to. 
if you have this welcoming kind of frame of mind this morning. So I'm going to start uh, Luke chapter 15, you know, basically verses 1 through 7. If you've got your Bible with you, we've got a passage about eating. We're Nazarenes. We love to eat. Um, think about the last dinner party or barbecue you were at. Chances are, and, I, and I'm not bagging on you here, I'm, I'm just an observation, and it might be wrong. You do not need to raise your hand and say, no, that's not the way we roll, Pastor. Chances are most of the people that you invited to your barbecue or that the dinner party that you were at are very, very similar to you in age, maybe in life stage, economic background, faith, probably more than anything else, uh, occupation maybe, you know, work gathering. They're similar to you in some way. There's not a whole lot of people at these dinner parties and barbecues that we participate in where there's somebody way off where we just can't figure them out. Like they, like who are they and why are they here? Right? We were on a cruise, Alaskan cruise. Can't remember the reason. It's not like I'm wealthy. Somebody paid for it. Um, so we're, you know, whole family, and they're all gathered around the table, and I hadn't shaved, and I had a beanie on. It was super early in the morning, so we could see the glacier, and I walked up to the table, and nobody, I think I shared this with you, nobody would look at me. And then finally, my sister-in-law looked up, and oh, it's Jerry. They had literally had the conversation as I was walking toward their car, who, toward their table, who let the homeless man on the boat? And they weren't going to make eye contact with me until finally, so, oh, that's Jerry. It's really early. <laughs> that's what he looks like. <laughs> Bottom line, like attracts like. It's a part of human sociology. We don't need to feel bad about it, but it needs to be kind of a big, hairy fact that we need to address. Jesus' dinner parties look different than the dinner parties I think we have been involved in. So let's start. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners <coughs> were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And my question is, what do you think drew the tax collectors and the sinners to Jesus? Right? Why would they leave their tax collection booths or their places of shame to seek out Jesus? Right? What was he saying that drew, what could, a, what could a church figure say that would draw the sinners out of the woodwork from out from underneath, right? What in the world was he saying? Was he saying, you tax collectors, you terrible people, there's no hope for you, you sinners. What's wrong with you? There's a great video on the internet a while back, and that was the pastor's entire sermon. Stop it. Just stop it. What's wrong with you people? Hey, Amen. And that was the end of the sermon, right? I get the impression that's not what he was saying. I'm thinking with his arms wide open, he says, hey, there's room for the kingdom here. Come on in. Now listen carefully. He doesn't excuse sin, but he doesn't let sin be the thing that excludes people from hearing about the good news of the kingdom of God that he had come to explain and live. That He did not let that get in his way. That didn't disqualify anybody from hearing the good news and being able to respond appropriately. Jesus was telling them how to find hope, how to find life, how to find community, how to walk through every moment of life knowing that God saw them, that God loved them, that God cared about them and loved them to death. That's what Jesus was telling people. That's why they said, like, I want to hear more of this because nobody has ever told me that. They've told me the exact opposite. I'm a huge loser. God hates me, and I'm going to go to hell. That's what I've been told. And now this Jesus comes along and tells me that I have a chance. I'm not lost. I'm not so far gone that it's hopeless. That, 
That drew them. Boy, boy, oh boy, boy, that drew them. I want to continue with verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So how did the Pharisees know that Jesus welcomed sinners? Because he ate with them. Right? In Jewish culture, having a meal with somebody said volumes. It wasn't just two people with hunger, hungry stomachs going and having a meal together. It was a fully involved social experience that everybody, not just the two of you, three of you at the meal, but everybody watching you, everyone experienced something together around a meal, right? That was a big, big deal. In Middle Eastern culture and really in cultures all around the world, eating together, I mean, we recognize this is probably the simplest, most powerful relational thing that we can do. Invite a couple over and have dinner with them. I mean, that, that, that'll set everybody kind of on edge, but at the end of the evening, everyone, wow, that was so enjoyable. I smiled. And, and, and the doctors say, when we do things like that, smile and laugh with good friends over meals, all sorts of health issues just go right down the toilet, right? It's drain. I should have said drain, whatever. Okay. Again, the idea, hospitality, right? In Middle Eastern culture and really, again, cultures all over the world, but particularly there, um, whether the person was welcome or not, you made them feel welcome. A little false, but that's simply what the culture, and again, our culture to a certain extent demands that too. Whether I really like you or not, I'm going to try to pretend that you're welcome. I'm going to do my very best to welcome you even though your thoughts, your ideas, and your lifestyle are not welcome. But I'm going to try to convince you that, that you are, that you're welcome. Again, the Jewish religious establishment perverted this spirit of hospitality. As with any legalistic religious system, there's always two sets of people that have to be created, right? There's the clean and the unclean, the in and the out, the acceptable and the unacceptable, the inside and the outside, right? Every legalistic religious system has to create this dichotomy, this, this separation of people. And if you eat with the unclean, that made you unclean. Right? It meant that you accepted and identified with the unclean. And that's what I mean. It wasn't just you two sharing a meal, everybody watching you. Oh, now he's one of them. She's one of Get it. I get it now. Got it. I mean, that, that, is, that is what a meal represented in the Middle Eastern culture of this day. And again, even up to this day. But Jesus ignores those distinctions, completely ignores them. In fact, by eating with tax collectors and sinners, listen carefully to this, Jesus as a rabbi, right? Everyone recognize him as a rabbi, is declaring that he accepts them and identifies with them as is, right? He's already, I think, understanding and recognizing what it feels like to be hated and despised and on the outside. He's already feeling it from the religious figures. He's feeling it from different people, right? He's beginning to identify with the people that Jewish society had said, we don't want to have anything to do with you, right? Jesus kind of got thrown into that kind of a crowd. Now, listen very, very carefully here. <clears throat> He's declaring them to be clean, not sinless. And again, we need to make a distinction between those two ideas. Clean and unclean has nothing to do with sin or not sinning. A woman's monthly cycle creates, makes her unclean. She did not sin. Right? So we just make sure we understand that there's clean and unclean, and then there's sin. Whole different category, right? So Jesus is declaring them, declaring them to be clean, not sinless, 
which means that you can now share a meal with them, that you can open up your heart and life with them, that you can welcome them even though they're living a lifestyle that does not conform to our Savior. Jesus is telling us, he's screaming at us, it's okay to hang out with sinners. Don't worry about what people will say. They've got to hear the message. Heard a speaker at the conference this weekend. I, I, I didn't agree with a lot of what he said, but boy, oh boy, we all jumped on this one thing he said. We want to believe that we can live a, li- a lifestyle evangelism. Mow people's lawns, you know, go to work an hour early, stay an hour later, do wonderful all around the world, but that is not sharing the good news of the kingdom. <laughs> right? That simply, what did he say? That is simply... Uh, is proof. Your lifestyle is proof of what you're about to tell them about Jesus Christ and how he can change your life. They have to be told. We bought into this idea, well, if I'm really, really, really nice, they'll somehow get the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and they need to accept him as their Lord and Savior. No, they need to be told something. They need to be explained, right? Things need to be explained to them. But anyway, I got way off topic there. Um, Jesus knew his disciples and he knows us. And he doesn't want us to be afraid to welcome people. So sensing the awkwardness in the room, and again, it it appears that this is at a dinner party, some kind of a dinner party. And so imagine the room. The Pharisees are kind of lined up on one side of the table, sinners and tax collectors, because you know they haven't mixed. It's like a a church mixer before the pastor comes in and tells you to, come on, mix it up, mix it up, get out of your, your cliques. They were like that group and that group, and you know they were all in a circle and glancing over and like, both groups were looking at the other group, and, and Jesus notices this incredible awkwardness, so he tells three little stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And lost in this, this passage, <clears throat> kind of, a, kind of <sighs> explain it better, they're no longer a part of the group, right? That's what, it's not that nobody can find them. It's that they're no longer a part of the group. They're no longer in the lost coin. A coin is no longer a part of the set of jewelry. The son, he's no longer a part of the family. And the sheep no longer are part of the, the herd, the sh- whatever groups of sheep are called. Herd? Okay, good. <laughs> Essentially, the whole st- all three stories is, and again, Jesus, picture him looking at the Pharisees and looking at the sinners and the tax collectors. And he's basically asking in all three stories, how far do you all need to go to get these people back home? And they're all hearing it very clearly. They're all hearing it very clearly. In each one of these stories, there's something lost, right? So there's a search. And in each one of these stories, there's something found, so there's a party. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Again, imagine the scene. Tax collectors, sinners, they're no longer part of the family. I mean, you need to imagine this. And on the other side of the family, the Sadducees, or excuse me, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, they're the gatekeepers and the decision makers of the family. So you got, you got dad sitting on one side and you got the child sitting on the other and dad's like, you're not welcome here anymore. You're not, you're not welcome here anymore. And, and on the other side of the table, I want to come home. I want to come home and you, you won't even let me in the presence of God so that I can, right? you have shut me out. And you, the decision makers and the gatekeepers of the family, one side, and the part of the family that had get, gotten kicked out. You're not a part of this family anymore, sitting on the other side of the table, and Jesus is asking, 
how far do we need to go to welcome people? So Jesus tells them a story. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep, loses one of them. Now keep in mind the typical family might have several to maybe a dozen sheep. So you get the impression that Jesus is clearly speaking to one side of the table only. Tax collectors might have had money, but they weren't about being out there with sheep, right? They made their money through tax collectors, but a lot of the wealthy people owned sheep and had shepherds they hired took care of them. So it sounds like Jesus is clearly speaking to the wealthy Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Shepherds, they're welcoming. I don't know if you ever thought about this. They create a safe space for the ship, the sheep. Well, I'm going to say something bad here in a bit. One sheep gets lost, and it's bad news. It's a big, 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 big deal. This is something extremely valuable to the community, entrusted to the shepherds by somebody else, right? This isn't their property. It's somebody else's property that's been entrusted to them. And again, to the Israelites, the religious leaders were always represented as shepherds. Throughout the Psalms, throughout the wisdom literature, the Israelite leaders were always represented as shepherds, and lo and behold, we find out that they're really horrible shepherds. They were more like hired hands than a shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep. And this is something that Jesus kept saying to the Pharisees, you're, you're a hired hand, you're not a, you don't care about the sheep. So everyone listening knows who's who in the story. And here's the interesting part, there's no explanation as to how the sheep got lost. Right, there's no hint that they were foolish, that they were hard-hearted, that they had ears but wouldn't hear, they had eyes but they wouldn't see, nothing, nothing. They were just, they're lost. They got disconnected. Whatever reason, that's where the heart of God went. Not to the cause, but to the situation, the pain and the sorrow. Story starts at the point of being lost. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Here's what welcoming looks like. A shepherd leaves the comfort and security of being with other shepherds, inconvenienced on behalf of somebody else, and he perseveres until he finds that sheep. And all of a sudden, for this shepherd, everything else on his agenda fades, right? This is everything. This is a top priority. And once the sheep is found, goes home, time to party. The sheep isn't alienated anymore. It isn't on the fringe, not on the outside anymore. No, somebody's not mad anymore. I took care of what was entrusted to me, right? I was faithful. So this is reason to celebrate. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. See, God has gifted us with all sorts of people in our lives, all sorts of different people, fellow students, teammates, family members, employers, employees, committee members. What Jesus is saying is, is, is make space for them, right? Would you, will you go out of your way? Will you leave the comfort of people who think like you, who agree with you, who make you feel accepted and loved and comfortable? Will you leave that and go find my lost sheep, no matter what everyone else is saying, once you start hanging out with that lost sheep, doesn't matter, will you risk that? Will you risk your reputation? Leave the 99 to go get that one. See, to the Pharisees or anybody struggling to love somebody different or somebody with a different point of view, he reminds us, making room in our homes, right? Because that's where we kind of, our heads, I think, went when I said welcoming I think most, again, Christians, oh, we've got to welcome them after church. They gotta, we've got to invite them to our house for coffee, and we've got to take them out. That's really not what this passage is about at all. Making room in our homes and around our table simply isn't enough. 
Welcoming means caring about the people God cares about and inconveniencing myself to bring them home. See, Jesus calls us to be just as welcoming in our hearts as we try to be in our homes and around our tables. Here's the kicker. Once somebody understands that they're, they're welcome, that even though their lifestyle and their whatever's is different from you, as soon as they recognize that you still welcome them, then you've earned the right to welcome them home. You can't welcome them home unless they feel welcomed. It, it, just, it sounds like a farce. It, if you're looking at them going, I don't really want to touch you, ooh, but Jesus loves you. It just doesn't work well. It's a mixed message. Right? They're going, eh, you say, but I see you do, and something's not connecting. So once under, somebody understands that they're welcome, they're far more receptive to a welcome home. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and finds their way home than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So what does welcoming do? For others, if we are welcoming in this fashion and we welcome and let them know that we love them, we might not agree with them, but we love them, what does it do for them? Well, it's an act of generosity that says, well, there's a place for you here. Right? There's a place for you here. For us, for the person doing the welcoming, having an inviting heart, it's an antidote to selfishness. Welcoming literally takes us out of our own world and reminds us that there's a whole other world out there of broken, hurting people, right? Because our, and again, it's normal, don't beat yourself up. Your main goal as a living human being is to take care of yourself, right? That, that's, that's just wise and that's kind of built into us, right? We don't do stupid things that endanger, well, some of us do when we're younger male, but, right, that's, that's not God's idea. We're not, we're not meant to be hurting each other. So how far did Jesus go to be welcoming? How inconvenient was Jesus to bring us home? This is your answer. This is why we do this once a month. We remind ourselves This is how far Jesus went to make sure that we were welcomed and that we were welcome home. Right? He had his body broken and his blood spilled so that we could have access to God, so that no longer would we be unclean, that we would be washed clean, and that we could stand before God and seek forgiveness, and it would be given. Heavenly Father, throughout the Bible, as we read of your works, we, we see love, but we see a whole lot of other stuff too. We see a lot of, in your word, in your Old Testament, we see a lot of brokenness too. And Father, you addressed this brokenness from moment one, building up to that time when you would reveal your son, a perfect 
reflection of you. Father, as we hold the elements, we hold in our hands your heart. That you would allow your son to take on our situation. And that that son, Jesus Christ, would do so willingly, not under duress, not being coerced, but out of a perfect love for the Father. And out of that perfect love, a perfect love for us. A love even to death on a cross. So, Father, we, as we prepare to share these elements that represent your son's broken body and your son's spilt blood, maybe this morning for the first time we come face to face with just how much you love us. And, Father, we know that these elements aren't just for the elect for the perfect people. Father, your blood was spilt and your body was broken for the least of these. Father, never let us forget that, that this isn't just for those who have finally got it together and this is our little celebration that we get heaven. Father, this should remind us that there are people out there that still need somebody to be broken and some blood to be spilled. Father, you spilled your blood, you made it all possible. But Father, you call us to also imitate you. Not that we can save with our blood, but we can sure communicate with our broken bodies and our spilt blood. We can communicate your love. And so Father, as we share communion this morning, we are very well aware that every time we do this, we are proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for these elements. And however way your Holy Spirit works through these elements, we will faithfully obey and do what you asked us to do.